Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 90 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, very happy to have watched you watch this. And <laughs> joining us tonight, he is the director of such films as Frankenstein's Creature and A Little More Flesh. He is also the co-host of the Arrow Video Podcast and is also a massive sadist, Sam <laughs> Sam, hello. This is all true. This is all true. Sam Ashurst, hello. How are you? I am well, thank you, sir. Slightly less well than I was an hour and a half ago, but I'm not bad. How are you? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm very excited to talk about this absolute masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, me too. I've got to be honest. Uh, Mitch, you look peaky. <laughs> um, Sam, when we were first talking about you coming on, we've been, and we've been talking about this for months. Yeah. When we started going down this road, it was basically a conversation that turned on the, look, you can't fucking have Batman versus Superman. (laughs) (laughs) I still don't understand why not, but fine, yes, yes. (laughs) But I mean, like, like you made me pay for that, didn't you? I really did, yeah. Because Um, you have gone for the Garbage Pail Kids movie, so please, to lead us in, why? Well, so basically this film is, is truly vile. Um, <laughs> like Salo, you can practically smell it. It's like the curse tape in Ring, in that you feel like dying after you've watched it. It'll affect your dreams, giving you not just nightmares, but visions of your next serious illness. And as such, I love it. Um, it it's creepy, it's gross, it's cruel, it's bad and insane in a really specific way. It's like John Waters made a kid's movie for trauma while suffering from a concussion. Uh, But my defense is, my defense is, if movies like this can't exist, where is art going to go? How are we going to push cinematic boundaries if we're not allowed to make a film in which someone is farted into consciousness? So, yeah, give me the Garbage Pail Kids disgusting foul grossness over the cynical hollowness of the Lion King live action remake every single day. So, yeah, that's why. Here, here. <laughs> and the crowd I, goes wild. Yeah. I, do str- I do strongly believe that the answer lies somewhere in between, but okay. <laughs> um, right, Sam, that was um, a very convincing opening argument, I must say. But you'll have listened to the show before, I hope. Um, of course. And we are going to ask you to do what we ask everyone to do on the show. And I am going to count you in and ask you to give us your best 30-second synopsis of the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Sir, okay. how are you feeling? I'm very confident here. Uh, you know what? You sound very confident. I have, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a sneaking suspicion that you have this completely under control. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one, go. A Garbage Pail spaceship crash lands on Earth, delivering a gang of deformed children to an antique store where a magician traps them until a bullied child named Dodger, named Dodger, sorry, uh, frees them so they can work in a sweatshop to make clothes for his fashion designer crush, Tangerine, who is the girlfriend of his main bully, Juice. Chaos reigns. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, with a lovely seven seconds remaining, Mitch. Yes! Sam, that that must catapult you right into the minimum top ten. Yes, excellent, excellent, proud of that. Very strong show, regardless of whatever else happens, no one can take that away from you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, it sounds like there's a a bit of a a 50-50 split on your end, so... um, Andy, can I hear from you? How, how did you first uh, see this movie? I've talked before on the show, Sam. Um, back in the day when I was a younger man, we had a, a guy with a van that drove around the street and he uh, rented videotapes out the back of his van. Oh. He had a wee book. And uh, Garbage Pail Kids was a favourite of mine from the guy with the van. And I watched this film loads of times, loads and loads of times. And I think when you're younger, 
you're particularly tickled by particularly the the more flatulent aspects of the film. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> but as I've got older, I've kind of returned to it a couple of times. Yeah. And, and, and this was the first time I've ever tried to watch it with any kind of critical eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you're you're right when you say it's it's truly vile. It is, it's absolutely fucking disgusting. Yeah. And uh, it's worth remembering across the entire runtime of this film that it is intended for an audience of children. Yep. I constantly had to remind myself of that fact. I mean, this is nasty on a number of levels. <laughs> but yeah, every available surface, and be it a flat surface, a solid surface, the surface of someone's face is coated in a layer of something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. But, you know, there, there are some great messages for children in here. Like, it's a film about accepting difference. It's yes. a film about not exploiting your friends for their art. It says that beauty can come from ugliness and ugliness can come from beauty. And it does all this in the context of, as as you say, one of the most disgusting films ever made. So it is uh, meta-cinema at its most profound and complex. <laughs> Sam, i got to say, like, see, genuinely, I'm already already thinking an hour from now, it's like, he's going to persuade me, isn't he? The bastard. <laughs> I really right, hope so. Let's jump into this. Let's jump into this right now. I have a question about the naming convention. Yes, sure. uh, for the garbage pail kids because some of them have kind of like um, well, we've got Valerie vomit. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, pretty self-explanatory. Sure. Uh, Windy Winston, which again, in this context, pretty self-explanatory. These are all kind of like seem to be people that are defined by one kind of disgusting trait. Yes. Well, that's yeah. I don't know what your relationship is to the the trading cards. I'm going to surprise you here, Andy. Minimal. <laughs> right. Well, I'm not sure how many of these characters actually existed within the world of the trading cards, but it was a very, very popular trading card series. Yeah, no, but I mean, so we have those two, that makes sense, right? Right. Then after that, we have Nat Nerd. He's a nerd. Yeah, but that's not the same as having a chronic vomiting disease or being extremely flatulent. He does have acne. I think that's where the kind of the connection between the grossness and the nerdiness comes. (laughs) Um, but, But also he does piss himself quite a lot in the film. So, like seven or eight times. Yeah, yeah. And the sheer uh, amount of urine that that, that that child monster was passing, Mitch, was driving <laughs> you to dist- to absolute distraction. It, it did. It, it pushed my buttons in a really weird way. After like the fourth or fifth time, Andy pissed himself for want of a better expression when this happened because I just went, "Stop doing that." Yeah. Well, I think what's truly unnerving and what you only really pick up on the seventh or eighth watch is that the the piss isn't actually trickling down his trouser leg uh, it's just fully flowing so i do think that he's got his um garbage pail junk out while he is uh, uh urinating. oh oh so, yeah. there you go that's an extra level of disturbingness for you i said there we go just when we thought this couldn't get any worse or any more yeah. oh it can always get worse yeah i mean wait until but- you see it on blu-ray I was just like the fact that you casually threw away this is the thing you only pick up on the seventh rate. <laughs> we uh, we certainly didn't watch it in Blu-ray. We watched it in I'd say somewhere in the region of three hundred and sixty p resolution. Yep. That is absolutely the perfect way to watch it um, because uh, eventually, Andy, you will watch it on Blu-ray. I'm sure. And it is a, a truly hideous experience. You can actually see into their eyes, and I, I do not advise that. They have pupils that are at very strange angles, and, and yeah, the kind of angles you only see in the eyes of corpses. Um, or, or indeed uh, <laughs> malfunctioning animatronics because very uh, much so yeah, yeah they, they don't work at all yeah and they knew they knew the director uh, what's his name Rod Amato yeah uh, yeah he knew that the animatronics weren't working properly before he started the movie however he just assumed that they'd start working of their own accord and <laughs> very clearly they didn't so. historically that's how these things tend to work yeah exactly <laughs> i think we should get into the story of this because we're getting in danger of getting extremely bogged down yeah <laughs> but uh yeah we meet our human protagonists pretty quick here uh, after the garbage field kids themselves arrive as you correctly described sam in a intergalactic dustpan yes yeah. so uh, i would have liked a bit more backstory as to how they actually came to be in manzini's antique shop uh, yeah. space. even any backstory would do like it, <laughs> we, we literally jump from you know the thing style opening to them running around in that antique shop and then we kind of have a, a time jump don't we but they don't sort of explain it yeah it's it is it is uh, not very well thought through uh, like quite a lot of this film no but yeah we meet our, our kind of main human protagonist here dodger uh, who looks a fair bit younger than uh, the kids that are bullying him here. And uh, Juice, 
head bad guy um uh roughs him up and steals his lunch money to the obvious arousal of his um female counterpart Blythe yeah. Blythe yeah yeah, yeah. she's kind of dressed like a female wrestler yeah that that's they're, they're quite trauma aren't they but um very yeah. but uh, as you point out significantly older than Dodger like they look like they're in their 30s and again it's got a weird the the kind of chase sequence I wonder if this was added after because it kind of feels like they all meet for the first time later on in the film when they come into the antique store and sort of rough him up there. But let's not jump ahead. Sorry, go, go, go on with the, with the very <laughs> important part. You fucking better not. I thought I'd Similarly, I would have liked a bit more backstory as to why Dodger is being terrorised by these people. Yeah, because they're clearly not at school together. So, um, you know, what, what did he do to offend these grown-ups? And why, yeah. why are they not afraid of going to prison for what they're doing? Because <laughs> on a couple of occasions they do try to kill him. Yeah, yeah, they really do. <laughs> and we meet Tangerine here, Katie Barberi. She is actually only one year older than Mackenzie Aston, who That's, plays Dodger. Yeah, mind. And yes. and they they actually dated in real life. I don't know if you know that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They broke up uh, mid shoot. That must have made things quite difficult on set. Really. <laughs> Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah, true. How, how are you supposed to do your best acting opposite these hideous beasts when you're uh, <laughs> when you're hurting? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> your heartbreak. Yeah, oh, hideous beasts. That is the best way to describe them. But yeah, he gets he gets kind of roughed up here. Goes home mud-soaked and penniless. When I say home, he, uh, he stops and by Manzini's antique store yeah. to uh, get washed and consoled by Manzini. Here's another backstory I'd like to know, because just going by the dialogue... Manzini is immortal, right? <laughs> he's all, yeah, he's a wizard. He's, he's lived through uh, the times where sword fighting was the only way to resolve your differences, uh, uh, <laughs> abandoning humanity after they uh, invented atomic weapons and deciding to run an antique store instead. That is quite complex, isn't it? Presumably the assumption there being that uh, no human would ever venture into his shop and he'd be left completely to his own devices. Yeah, I mean, but they do have pretty good buttons, so I, I don't really sure, understand sure, sure. why Also, he would don't open that. a shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. Just stay at home. Um, yeah, we get a little bit of um, Pandora's Box mythology here. Yeah. File under obvious foreshadowing. <laughs> sure. Very much so, yeah. And we get we get kind of established, because it's not in the first scene, I don't think, that uh, Dodger, despite the fact that Tangerine was complicit in his robbery moments before, um, has quite a crush on her. Yeah, I mean, we've all gone for the wrong person, right, at some point in our lives. I think that's one of the reasons I identify with this movie so much. You know, I've, I've had crushes on bad people, and bad people have had crushes on me. I think, you know, there's, a lot, there's a lot in this to console people who are going through such things. I mean, I had a crush on Tangerine. I kind of get it. Yeah. I mean, when I was yeah when, when I was first watching this movie, I mean, I should say how I came to this movie. It's very similar they should, to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just realised we didn't ask. How rude. Yeah, it, 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 I didn't watch it out the back of the van, unfortunately. I <laughs> truly wish I had. Um, but it was one that I would rent from the video shop kind of week after week. And uh, back in those days, you'd, you'd get a film like the Garbage Pail Kids movie. You'd have it in your house for seven days before you had to return it. So I'd watch it as many times as possible before it had to go back. And uh, yeah, you know, I was uh, a little lad who is... I was going to say, how old of a Sam Astros are we talking about here? Uh, well, we're talking about when this first hit VHS. So uh, I would have been around eight or nine Okay. And yeah, carried on watching it until last okay. week. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, I collected the cards and all that. You know, I I was into the cards first. And then, you know, when I saw that they'd made a movie of these cards produced by Chewing Gum, no less. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, I was extremely happy. So yeah, uh, there, there's uh, uh, a lot of nostalgia in, in this selection, I do have okay. to say. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I feel about this film as well. From what you're saying there, you're aging yourself in am, roughly yeah. the same bracket as me. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, next up, in this sustained campaign of bullying by these adults against this child, they show up in the antique shop and kind of try to rough them up again. And in the struggle, a um, a pail full of green slime is knocked over. I'm sorry, Mitch. I can't let you proceed here. I, I think there needs to be more analysis of the relationship between Dodger and Manzini. Okay, because this man sees this boy naked a lot of over the kind of course of this film. It's Dodger homeless. Yeah. Oh, I. Wow. I mean, I've never, never considered that. I'd never considered that. Like, and and are they related? Like, is it his uncle? Like, is it his dad? 
surely they have to be related because at one point he has given a bath in the middle of the shop while yes. those monstrous beasts gather around him to gawp and try to eat him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, this is a children's film. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so their relationship is odd, isn't it? It certainly is. Um, and I, I'm, I don't think he can be an uncle because he is called Captain Manzini. Well, uncles, can, uncles can be captains. Yeah, uncles can definitely call be captains. Uncle captain. Manzini, though. Yeah, but maybe Captain outranks uncle. You don't know. <laughs> Or maybe it's one of those things where he, he's confident at his rank and he will not accept anything less. Yeah, I think that's probably it. He's a confident man. He offers a lot of advice. <laughs> yeah, he's a big wisdom dispenser, isn't he? Yeah. Um, we get our first kind of proper introduction to the Garbage Pail Kids themselves shortly after this because um, after the kind of bullies attempt to drown him, uh, yep. they take him back to the shop, look after him, and he is, as you mentioned earlier, Sam, farted back into consciousness by uh, Wendy Winston. <laughs> Oh, what a moment. What a moment. What a scene. And yeah, we get introduced to them all individually and, and, you know, we get a glimpse into their powers. Should we run through their powers? I'd be happy to. Yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can do a few of those. Yeah, you've started with Wendy Winston and that has really extends to nothing more than being an exceptional farter. (laughs) I had, um, I had Nat Nerd as being scholarly and uh, incontinent. Yep, yep, yep. Also dressed like Superman. Yep, and and that is some kind of sharp satire, I think. Uh, <laughs> that's still relevant to this day. Yep. Alligator, obsessed with toes, wears a Hawaiian shirt and has Rod Stewart hair. Yep, and with you a want... great voice as well. I, I love Alligator's <laughs> voice. You want to take one? Uh, well, we've got Greaser Greg, who's a, a, a homicidal greaser with a flick knife. Um <laughs> He doesn't really seem to have any powers outside of the fact that he is small and ready to murder people. Yep. <laughs> um, messy Tessie, who has an extremely sticky, runny nose. That's, that's it. And then uh, let's not forget Foul Phil, uh, who is a baby with bad breath. Yep. Yep. And of course, the hero of the piece, Valerie Vomit. Valerie Vomit, yes. Um, predictable, but debilitating condition she has. Yep, her powers don't become apparent until the closing moments of the film, but yeah, that's everything you hoped it would be. It truly is spectacular. Yeah, I, I uh, every now and then, when I get close enough to someone, uh, I will show them the Garbage Power Kids movie as kind of an expression of my inner soul. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of 50% Kubrick and 50% this film, so I do show it to people. Um, and more often than not, that is where the friendship ends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting the impression I'm not going to see much again. <laughs> Honestly, I, I've, I've, you know, I've really ended relationships with this film. But uh, my f- good friend Georgia, when I showed it to her for the first time, when the Garbage Power Kids were being introduced, she uh, would say... That's the worst one. (laughs) No, no, that's the worst one. No, that's the worst one. Because they are all the worst one. They are all unpleasant to watch. Some are more charming than others, I think. Uh, If I had to be asked right now for a worst one, I think it's a pretty close toss-up between Nat Nerd Mm -hmm. and uh, Messy Tessie. I would say Nat Nerd would be mine. Yeah, there's something really uncomfortable about Nat Nerd. It's the sportsman. Who's the best one? Alligator. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, I would say. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you on that point. No. Um, before we move on, I want to talk about what... Obviously, we've talked about the fact that these are all grotesque-looking things, but the actual mechanics of what they actually look like in this. Okay. Do you want to do it? <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about about that, because uh, what you have here are little people um, in terrible animatronic headgear. Yeah. And they're truly horrible. I mean, the, the Garbage Pail Kids are based almost wholesale on the Cabbage Pail Kids. Mm-hmm. Cabbage Patch uh, Kids. Cabbage yeah. Patch Kids, I should say. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they've tried their best to get them looking like that, but what they've actually created is ten times more <laughs> horrifying than you could ever have imagined. It's so true. Uh, you probably won't be surprised to hear this, but uh, the film actually started life as a horror movie. In many ways, it's still a horror movie. But mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. originally, it was about a bunch of broken dolls that got covered in radioactive goo and turned into serial killers. Um, and this was obviously a year before Child's Play. And Chucky kind of looks like a garbage pail kid. Um, yeah. Chucky is probably what they were going for with this. But unfortunately, they used, you know, a combination of metal and paper mache. Um, it, it is truly the work of amateurs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, in a moment in the film, Manzini refers to them and it refers to them throughout the film from this point as children. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. Now, as far as I can see, only one of them is a is a human ba- or a human esque baby. Yeah. One of them is a, as you said, a homicidal biker, and another is an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they seem to have knowledge beyond their years, especially Greaser Greg. He's probably for me the most pleasant to look at. I like his style. Yeah, uh, sure, okay, sure. Ha- okay, however, he, his inner yeah. world is very disturbing, I think. I would say so. Yeah, yeah. He I would displays say that, I, some suspicious behaviours. He does, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I would say that his his backstory film, like his universe-building film, would be the one that would be most disturbing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Please, please. <laughs> Let's make a spin-off. Let's make several spin-offs. Let's make a prequel. Come on, uh, guys. I'm, if we I'm gather gonna... together, we can do it. I'm just going to do my usual and pitch 10-part Netflix series. Yes. Oh, my God. With a different backstory every week. Oh, God, yes. Please, please. Um, So, Sam, you mentioned, of course, that this film has a very wholesome message at its core. And Manzini kind of touches on this at this point. It's kind of the first time this is seeded. He basically says, he's like, well, you couldn't have picked a worse time to come back. We live in a very vain society and you're all going to be ostracized because you're all hideous. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, which obviously, in this in this context, feels a little bit callous, but will go on to be this kind of like very positive, um, kind of like let your freak flag fly kind of uh, uh, totally. positive message. Yeah. Totally. Well, there is a, a weird strain of satire throughout the whole film. Like, uh, again, it's one of the things that makes it so weird and, and it feels like people didn't really know what they were making at the time. But like when Dodger's getting drowned in sewage, there's a pipe that says primetime TV in the background. Mm-hmm. And what is it? What's the name of the um, the home that, that all of their mates end up at? Oh, oh uh, the, the state home for the ugly. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. And you've got in that state home. I know we're jumping ahead. I'm so sorry. But no, 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 that's um, fine. No, no, no. That's, uh... In that state home, you've got Abraham Lincoln. And, you know, who who wasn't, he, he was obviously, you know, he did some great stuff, but he wasn't a looker. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you've got Santa in there as well, who yeah. is obviously morbidly obese. So um, there is a, a weird little message about let's not judge people for how they look. Let's yeah. judge them by their actions. But the sort of downside of that is the Garbage Pail Kids are awful people as well. They're, they're, they break stuff and, you know, they run riot through... The, the shop when we first uh, get introduced to them. I, I feel like there's a bit of a Gremlins influence here. What, what do you guys think? Mm, okay. I can see that. though. Uh, uh, that crop of Little Monsters films that were out around about the same time, like exactly. Critters and Munchie and stuff like that. Like, That's I, it, I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I kind of get that. So you're saying about um, learning the beauty is only skin deep and judging people by their actions. A great alternate ending to this would have been if everyone had learned that lesson and then they still got uh, executed for being terrible people. <laughs> well, maybe in our reboot, that's what we can do. But I do, I do love the ending of this film. Like, oh, me too. The ending's wild. Sincerely, it is it's, fantastic. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's out there. The uh, clothing line strand to this plot, <laughs> uh, which, very, which very quickly becomes basically the main one, the kind of driver of the whole thing, yep. is introduced here as uh, Dodger has what, I, mm, it's not really a chance encounter with Tangerine, is it? I think that he's pretty much stalking her at this point. He lets himself into a house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty sketchy behaviour. Yeah, he's incredibly creepy. But um, yeah, we get a kind of a read at this point that she's an aspiring fashion designer and she's off to the dance clubs to try and sell her wares. <laughs> yeah, she hawks t-shirts outside nightclubs like those dodgy guys outside gigs that sell fake band merchandise. And yeah, she she is hugely successful at, at this, even though obviously all of the clothes in this film are utterly dreadful. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I think that this, this kind of strand that you touch upon is another interesting and, and relevant comment on, on society and culture, um, because obviously this is a branded corporate film. Um, mm-hmm. You know, much like the MCU, but less cynical. Uh, <laughs> and if corporate cinema has to exist, at least let it be honest. Let it feature children in superhero costumes churning out products for money they will never themselves see. Yeah, the whole sweatshop aspect to this in like a weird branded <laughs> film is uh, is unusual and interesting, I think. It's daring. It's daring. I think there was some other money in this because um, at one point they steal a Pepsi truck. Yes, yeah. yeah. And Valerie Vomit, I think, says it's the uh, I'm the choice of a new generation or something. And the, we're the Pepsi generation, yep. All right, okay, there you go. Yeah, they, they 
probably did distance themselves from it. So um, uh, I, I doubt that any representative from Pepsi set foot on the set of this film. Uh, <laughs> or, or saw a script or, or yeah. Um, like, uh, what truly baffles me every time I watch it, and, and I do enjoy it every time I watch it, um, because I like weird, horrible stuff. But every time I watch it, it's like, how did this get through any stage of the production process? How, it, this isn't some weird indie. Like you say, this had corporate sponsors. How how did it happen? Why does it exist? <laughs> I mean, I, I think the the success of the cards was so astronomical. They're still around. They're still getting made now. I know you mean, but like, it is an incredibly unlikely convergence of elements that this is the film you get for that. Yes, I guess like the cards themselves were quite edgy and and quite weird and gross and all of that. So I guess. You know, the the producers just thought, this is what kids want. We don't understand it. But this film, which we also don't understand, is probably what they want. But, um, you know, no one except me and Andy want this film, I think. (laughs) Is this what you're spending your money on now? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, um, I noticed at this point, Juice is never far away. He turns up just at the end of uh, Tangerine selling all of our wares and uh, just takes all our money like some kind of weird clothes pimp. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't defend that. No. no but it is an, should you? It's an interesting... <laughs> Thanks for ending the speculation that that was the kind of thing you supported. <laughs> you know, I'll support a lot of things, but clothes pimping, never. No, no, no. At this point, yeah, so like I say, when they're kind of out and about, the Garbage Pail Kids are out and about trying to find their, uh, the other Garbage Pail Kids, presumably. Yeah. I am also concerned about their standard of life pre-incarceration because they very, very quickly uh, seem to resign themselves to a life of um, eating scraps of food in the shadow of a dystopian sci-fi-esque trash can fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it looks like fun though, doesn't it? Doesn't it, Mitch? So, <laughs> don't you want to eat hot dogs in an alley? It's a cosy old time. <laughs> you never had a barbecue or a, or a bonfire with your pals? Exactly. <laughs> it's true, it's, it's, it's my lack of joie de vivre that's really like... <laughs> They give uh, the garbage pill kids give Dodger a wardrobe overhaul here uh, to uh, impress Tangerine. He's concerned that the clothes are not very him, and I would say that that's probably a fair assessment because yeah. he looks like Michael Jackson. Yeah, and they don't really fit him, do they? <laughs> yeah, it turns out that the garbage pill kids are pretty handy with a needle and thread, um, which is why they're exploited for the rest of the film, uh, and they do make them a preposterous jacket. Yeah, again, truly bizarre. Just so we're clear, uh, Mitch, there was never any sort of fashion element to these cards. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, uh, I don't know where that backstory came from, but yeah, I I guess it does all lead to the spectacular finale. So uh, who am I to judge? All's well that ends well, right? Exactly. Can I give you, can I hit you with a a, a brief uh, The Garbage Pail Kids movie fact, please? Of course. Of course. course. away. Okay, so, uh, and oh, I love this so much. The, the DP, Harvey Genkins, uh, had a legendary 1987 because he also shot Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Wonderful. Um, which, of course, has the iconic Garbage Day line. So, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, what I'm saying is he shot a lot of garbage in 1987. Sometimes destiny takes your career where, it, where it's truly <laughs> meant to be. <laughs> uh, that's the end of my facts. That's the only one I know. But, yeah, let's carry on with the plot. Oh, yeah, please. I've got a fact relating back to the script and how things got past script point. Oh, okay. Um, Mackenzie Aston almost never got past uh, reading the script because his dad, John Aston, Gomez Adams, read the script, hated it, and then engaged his lawyers in an attempt to remove his son from the production. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a good one. So someone in the industry knew what they were doing at this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mackenzie will be remembered forever. Uh, this is still considered the worst movie ever made by quite a lot of people. So if you can't be in the best film ever made, and that's so rare, why not be in the worst film ever made? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Either way, you're going to be remembered. You've got to make one of those Wikipedia listicles, don't you? Exactly. <laughs> Tangerine is outwardly bowled over by um, Dodger's bold new look. Yeah, <laughs> she, she places an, an order for 12 ostentatious jackets. <laughs> yeah, and then that leads into the song, doesn't it? 
Oh man. <laughs> yes, yes it does. I think I'll play the song in full at the end of this episode. Oh yes, please do. And actually, if anyone listening to this is curious in terms of the look of the film, if you do want to dip your toe into seeing it in um, crystal clarity, then uh, I think it's Scream Factory or, or Shout put this out on Blu-ray in the States. And on their channel, they do have this song in full. And so, yeah, you can see their weird, disturbing eyes and, and uh, <laughs> some, some little details that are possibly hidden uh, on the VHS copy. But yeah, I don't advise watching the whole film in that form. Like four minutes <laughs> is more than enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's incredibly lucky we even get to this song because Dodger's done that classic mistake of uh, committing to an order without checking where your workforce. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> he goes back, says he, says he needs 12. Uh, Garbage Pill Kids, noted economists, predict that supply will not match demand. <laughs> and um, yeah, but eventually they're, so they're, they're very apprehensive. But in the measure of the song, kind of talk themselves around and they're like, you know what, fuck it, we'll do a nice thing for this guy. What do you mean yeah. when they break into a sweatshop and steal all their equipment? <laughs> yes, when they break into the sweatshop is when they resolve to do a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah, good, good for them. Well done, Garbage Pail Kids. Um, um, it it's kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, of making indie films, actually, this sequence. Because, you know, you've got a lot of people expected to work for free. Some people are unhappy about it. Uh, some people fully support it because, you know, they want to just get their art out there. They want, you know, people to see what they can do. And so, yeah, at certain levels of indie film, I think there is truly a lot to learn from the Garbage Pail Kids movie. This does, I mean... That's a fair interpretation. It's not the first one that I gravitated to. <laughs> I'm full of those, Mitch. <laughs> you know what? I was um, starting to realize that. Um, <laughs> I Obviously, the first thing that I thought was that this felt a little bit slave labory, especially when you saw them all cowering downstairs because they thought they were going to get caught taking a break. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that too. There's that too. Um, at this point, I mean, uh, they so, but they do resolve that they want to take a break. Production's going well, to be fair. They're making some good time. Yeah. They head out into the world to go to the cinema, and they're all wearing <laughs> kind of like spy disguises. And at this point, I wrote in my notes, this is an absolute blight on my patience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's the fun and game section of the movie. Yeah, the um, keeper. Yeah, a- a- again, ill-advised. Sure, they're, they're dressed like French resistance fighters and they go to the cinema. <laughs> I was wondering if this sequence, because they go into a cinema um, trying to not draw attention to themselves by all wearing matching, extremely eye-catching outfits and then being extremely uncouth in a cinema. They have enormous fucking heads. Right? <laughs> Honestly, the, the diameter, the sheer diameter of their heads is, is astronomical. There's no way a group of freakish, massive-headed children babies can go into a cinema dressed like that and not draw attention from everybody come on they're perfectly hidden by their berets (laughs) (laughs) enormous berets for their massive fucking heads (laughs) presumably they knocked them out in an evening you're not buying berets that large in the shops so true yeah yeah um, I was wondering if the sequence was going to serve no narrative purpose whatsoever until they went to the toughest bar in the world, which oh. just happened to be next door. How, how can you not like a film that has the toughest bar in the world in it? Come on. Yeah, and it's not all of them, Mitch, in fairness. I believe it's only Wendy Winston and Alligator that yeah. go. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I like the sign that says the toughest bar in the world. Um, it reminds me of um, a sign outside um, a pub in Glasgow where it's, a, it's in quotation marks and it says the best wee pub in town but that quote isn't attributed to anybody. <laughs> no, the, the landlord. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the same way. This, Yeah, this is the toughest bar in town and um, uh, or the toughest bar in the world, should I say. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah Alligator aggravates a patron here by uh, nibbling on his toes. It's a weird <laughs> fetish. Basically, uh, this is uh, the film that inspired Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez to make From Dusk Till Dawn because it's clearly the titty twister. Alligator clearly has the same kind of fetish that Tarantino's character had in that movie. Sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, this isn't just a great movie. It's an influential movie. Sure, sure. And I think would it you, falls Would through. you just fucking stop introducing ludicrous theories <laughs> and then backing them up so convincingly, you lunatic? Never. <laughs> I will never stop that. <laughs> yeah, I and uh, I guess that means that makes Wendy Winston the George Clooney here as he farts <laughs> himself to victory um, and, and ingratiates yeah. himself yeah. into the clientele. Oh, it's wonderful. Like, I, I find this sequence of the film quite moving um <laughs> yeah i do <laughs> anyway 
what happens next <laughs> um, uh, they uh they go back to well they go back to resolutely being arseholes in the cinema and then they go back to manzini's he gives uh he gives alligator or alligator um a firm dressing down yeah. for um cutting about nibbling people's feet like a savage and being drunk and for being drunk yeah we got a prank montage here as they kind of like wreak some havoc on uh, juice and some other people while Manzini is trying to come up with a spell to put them back in the pail. And mm. I feel like he's approaching this from a strange angle because it sounds like he's just saying things at random or like picking things that rhyme and then just being frustrated that they don't happen to be the spell. Yeah, and uh, earlier in the film, he, he lists some ingredients, um, including the very poetic, uh, the shadow of your smile. Uh, <laughs> oh my. Which is very nice, but um, he doesn't have any of those ingredients. Uh, also, why is he fighting them with magic? Because... They're aliens. Like, where does the magic stuff come into it? I, I don't get it. Like, how does wow. he know? But like, yeah. so, I, I guess he doesn't know. He's just trying stuff at random. But yeah, um, I, just, he's just, I think he's just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah, I've got. I've got to be honest. I, I don't see much magic ability from Captain Manzini over the course <laughs> of this film. I see a man at a harpsichord spouting <laughs> what what seem to be spells. I could do that. Yeah, and and I can tell you, my magical ability is next to none. Oh, you've, I've just honestly in this moment realised that Captain Manzini is just probably just a madman, isn't he? Of course he is. He's an insane man who <laughs> likes watching a boy bathe. Oh, <laughs> oh um, yeah. What happens next, Mitch? <laughs> uh, we find out that um, not only garbage pill kids are being rounded up and uh, thrown in jail for being ugly, but uh, just ugly people in general. Children in masks. Yeah. And they're getting caught in giant nets like big butterflies. It, That's yeah, right. Yeah, again, truly disturbing uh, moment, the, the, the butterfly net stuff. And again, like, it feels like this film is constantly world building because, yeah, I get the bit at the start where he's saying, like, you, you kids are too ugly for this world. You know, they're too ugly for the world without the concept of ugly people being captured in butterfly nets. Uh, yeah. th this premise is introduced very late on in the movie um, which is kind yeah. of interesting um, yeah but I like the idea also that the fact that this is the universe of this is like a sprawling metropolis is like there's 3,000 named characters in the garbage pill kids <laughs> yeah and, and some people theorise that it's also part of the troll cinematic universe because really um, yeah there's a painting at the start uh, oh yeah yeah <laughs> that, that also appears in troll so um yeah, is this the one of john carl buchler with a with a ghoulie beside him yeah yeah <laughs> so nice. um yeah but who knows who knows what the intention was here i like this theory very very much at this point uh good news for dodger his disfigured slave army has finished his clothes <laughs> yay <laughs> Huzzah. Um, with literally no help or creative re remit or uh, input of any kind from him, <laughs> or uh, from Tangerine, who's going Tangerine. to be actually, but she's going to be the face of this like entire endeavor. But she's had no input on the clothes that she's going to have to go out there and hawk out the back of shops and fucking. Let's face it; these people aren't very discerning, are they? Like, you know what? Yeah, that's fair. That's 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 pretty reasonable. I think that um, there's a moment here when um, the clothes are dropped off. And uh, Juice is there, and his ethics are hilarious because he's basically just as conflicted by his decision to exploit a child for money instead of just killing them. Yeah, Ju Juice is not a nice guy. I don't get it. What specifically? Juice's behaviour. All right, okay. It seems very far. I've got a theory that comes up later on, which I'll touch on, Ooh. but it, it does take the film into quite dark territory if I do that. Oh, really? Dark territory? How dark can it get any darker than what we've already discussed? <laughs> well, I'll get, I'll get to that. Well, we'll have none of that here. I'm excited. He takes Tangerine to the sweatshop here, and at this point we find out that, uh, or Dodger does, and we find out that uh, the world-famous McBundy's department store is giving them an entire fashion show. That was handy. <laughs> it's a mighty punt to take. Also, yeah, Tangerine's motives get questioned here as we establish that she is still romantically involved with Juice that's presented to us. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, I I've been there. Yeah, and um, when we're talking about shady behaviour... Is this, is, when, is this when a Greaser Greg appeals to sexually assault Messy Tessie? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's an odd decision, isn't it? To to write that and then film it and then <laughs> and include it in the edit. Um, like, and package it for children. Yeah. <laughs> it is wild though, isn't it? I mean, like obviously like, this is this is probably of any kids film I've seen, the one that is a kids film in only the very loosest definitions. Yeah. But it's crazy how 
lax like things are at almost every level in kids entertainment from that era uh they just don't really make disturbing kids movies anymore maybe it's for the best i don't know but um there's a there's an upcoming film uh from astron six called psycho gorman i don't know if you've seen much about that no Um, nothing but i'm very very excited about that one i think it might return uh the disturbing kids film era to cinemas because it's about uh, uh some some young kids who uh discover uh, a, a giant alien assassin who um they use to do their bidding it does uh, as with all of astron 6's stuff like they did uh manborg which i also mm-hmm. love they were involved in the void and and so and the editor the editor so good yeah exactly exactly so i i honestly can't wait to see that one and i hope it has mm-hmm. a bit of a garbage pail kids vibe though i will never say that to their faces <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, I guess the point I'm driving at here is that I think that like a lot of the stuff that we're watching on this podcast is a lot of times people have chosen things because they got into them when they were a kid. Yeah. The, the, I guess the thing that sets this apart from those selections is that this is actually theoretically a kid's film. Well, sorry, how old? Yeah, 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 like Howard the Duck. But like, much, for the most yeah. part, it's like people who are like, oh, I watched this when I was really like too young to have really been watching it kind of thing. And it's weird to me, and I think it jarred with me, or it seemed really un- unusual to me, that like, because you're used to watching things from 30 or 40 years ago, and you go, oh, you won't get away with that now. You know, like, I think, I think that that's extremely common now, at least to me. Yeah. Um, and I think that I've kind of, I've found, I've kind of found a way to separate myself from a lot of that. Right. You know, just kind of be like, you know, like, you can write things off as being kind of a product of a time when people didn't know as well, kind of thing. But it was very strange to see, like, that particular thing come up in what is a kid's film. I think that that's the, what, that's the, th- the moment where this film swings the wildest for me <laughs> yeah i mean yeah yeah i i totally hear you uh, uh and you know it, it's it's an element that uh and i'm sure andy's the same here uh had no conception of when i was watching it as a kid i didn't really understand what had gone on there uh, and so you kind of just ignore it but yeah certainly when when i've revisited it as a as an adult uh, it is a very, very eerie and unnerving moment in an yeah, sure. eerie and unnerving film. <laughs> it's like there's a moment in E.T. which I, I revisited recently when there's all the chaos in the classroom towards uh, the end when he sets the frogs loose. There's one little boy looking up girls' skirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I remember, and, and, like, the last time I watched it, I was like, oh, I forgot about that. Like, I, it wasn't so long ago that that kind of stuff in films got kind of sold off as being like boys will be boys. <laughs> kind of like scampery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just really jarring to look back on now. So it is time to break into the state home for the ugly because sure, why not? But yeah, at this point they kind of like they kind of feel like they've been working in the background of the fashion show for long enough. They want to be part of things. Uh, the way that Tangerine kind of stops this from happening is that she locks them in a building. She locks them specifically in the basement. In of, the basement. Yeah. Of yeah. Manzini's. Manzini's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the very sweatshop. Or in the like, or kind of in the very hideout kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, much like today, we buy our iPhones and we enjoy our iPhones, and uh, we don't think about the the slave labour that's being used to create our iPhones. They are locked in the basement of our minds. We don't want to see the ugly reality of uh, of the products that we use. So, yeah, Tangerine was ahead of her time here. You think you think that the film is to be commended for making us confront that dark aspect of our latent consumerism? Very much so. Very much so. Just one of many, many reasons this film should be commended. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Biting commercial satire. In a corporate film about some playing cards. Just very, very impressive. Well, not playing cards, trading cards. You couldn't really do anything with them other than look at them. Um, the, the garbage power kids true, cards. True. Yeah. Oh, really? Was there no game element to it? There was no, no game. No, no. So it was simply a collecting. Oh. Um, and uh, yeah, funded by Big Bubblegum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's see. At this point, the fashion show is underway. We're kind of this, our narrative kind of splits in two at this point. Sure. Um, and first off, yeah, the fashion show is underway, um, which all seems to be going fine. Also, at this point, as you pointed out, Andy, the rest of the kind of bad guy gang or the relative bad guys in this thing uh, break in and kidnap the garbage pill kids. Yeah. 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 It, it's basically Return of the Jedi at this point. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's bringing together all of these different narrative threads to a real big finale. It's great. Right. I want to talk about the look that we get of the uh, stay home for the ugly uh-huh. where everyone is uh, subcategorized into like their own respective subgenre of being ugly uh-huh. uh, would you like a run through of the of the, some of the categories Mitch I don't know I, I wrote I? them down okay yeah. on you go yes 
Um, so the Garbage Pail Kids themselves, uh, they're all incarcerated in the one cell, uh, which doesn't really give them a lot of room, to be fair. Um, they're pretty much like treading on each other's toes in there, but they're locked up for being too gross, right? which uh, seems fair. Yeah. Um, there's what appears to be a caveman marked as too hairy. Um, that would be you fucked, Mitch. Yep, it would be. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy... <laughs> That'd be one of the many ways that I would go down. <laughs> Um, this one might apply to you as well. There's a guy that's locked up for being too pale. Yeah, some days. Yeah. There's a clown <laughs> uh, who's too silly. You know what? I don't care <laughs> for where this is going. There's a guy with a walking stick who's locked up for being too crippled. Oh my, oh my god. <laughs> Although, if it was me and it was too crippled, you'd have a quadriplegic. I'm surprised they didn't go down that route. I wonder if they had a meeting and they were like, what is the, <laughs> the, the furthest level of crippled that the, we can go? And the crippled in this spectrum. Yes. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. I was going to say, I think we shouldn't dwell on this too much. And yeah. Santa, of course, as you mentioned earlier, Sam, yeah. too fat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not all exclusively ugly, I have to add. Do you mean like I, these are not all categories of physical ugliness? Yeah, they don't seem like valid reasons for being locked up. Too oh, silly. Oh, yeah, too silly. Yeah, too silly is, is not ugly, no. Also, reasons to be locked up and killed? Well, yeah, yeah. That's, um, it's quite concentration campy. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they are going to be off, and as we find out, that is indeed the fate that has met the other Garbage Pail Kids. They are dead. Yeah, yeah. That's thrown off very willy-nilly near the end of this. Yeah, it's very casual, isn't it? Perhaps they realised at this point that they were never going to be allowed to make a sequel or possibly another film, so decided (laughs) to tie off that loose end. (laughs) It's like the the absolute opposite of leaving it open for a sequel. It's just like, board that up now. Yeah, just fucking burn it. Burn all of this. Um, Tangerine reveals her double cross at this point and uh, dodges unceremoniously thrown into a dumpster. <laughs> um, while this is going on, uh, Manzini breaks in and uh, starts emancipating the Munters. <laughs> he does, yeah, yeah. Dodger, can I talk about Dodger's bow tie? Sure. Yeah, please uh, do. I feel like the tragedy element of Dodger's betrayal here is <laughs> ramped up so much by the fact that he's wearing that sparkly bow tie and he doesn't have a shirt on to like, it's just like round his neck like a stripper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah, it really does add a whole other layer of indignity to the whole proceeding. He's fucking that. pathetic. He is a bit. Sam, I want your input on this one actually. Dodger is a protagonist. How do you feel about him and how do you feel about his journey? Well, I feel like, as with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where you can kind of read the episode as building towards a reveal that Dennis is a serial killer, um, <laughs> I feel that something kind of similar is going on here. Uh, <laughs> like, the, the bit where he kind of smells the hair and, and the fact that he doesn't seem to have too much empathy, um, certainly when he's sort of turning his, his new friends into slaves. But... It all builds to uh, a rather beautiful character arc in which all else is forgiven. Can I get to the end bit of, of, of Dodger's journey? I think now? that we're just about there. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think we're I think, there, aren't we? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. The fact that he overcomes uh, his, his bullying, and who knows how many years this guy's been bullying Dodger for, um, and he finally, you know, overpowers him. And he is so startled by his capacity for violence, he starts openly weeping. Um, <laughs> you know, in many ways, that, that puts this film uh, alongside Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale in, in terms of <laughs> transcending violence. Um, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that. Um, no, it's a comparison. I've seen bandied around quite a lot recently. <laughs> honestly, 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 if I had a fucking pound. <laughs> but yeah man like i i do genuinely like the fact that you know violence isn't the answer uh in in dodger's journey uh, and then obviously you know he he transcends his crush on tangerine because uh he no longer finds her pretty because yeah. she's mean i love that she asks him to help him again help her again and <laughs> the only reason he, he refuses to help her is because she's no longer pretty like if she was still pretty even after it all he might do it but not now, not now. If I, by the way, if I was Dodger, I'd also be startled at my newfound ability to do multiple somersaults through the air. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the true source of the tears, who knows? But um, yeah, I think, I think it's a good ending. It's a good ending. They've done well to, 
you know, at least give it something to say at the end. Yeah, I think it's it's trying to kind of tie a moral bow on it yeah. in a way that's kind of admirable. Also, it's important not to gloss over the fact that the fashion show descends into absolute chaos. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does. And Tangerine says at the end, like, when she comes back to speak to Dodger, she was like, the fashion show, they loved it, they loved it. I was like, sorry, and what... By what metric was this fashion show a fucking success? It was an absolute shit show. Yeah. It was carnage. It was bland. It looked boring as fuck. Yeah, and then descended into hell. Yeah. Absolute farce. There's a bit... This is a bit I wanted to talk about where I wanted to speculate perhaps on the relationship between Dodger and Juice. Dodger oh, and yeah, Juice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. There's a moment, tiny moment. Juice is on the phone to someone and he says something like... It seems like he's doing a drug deal. He's like, when you receive the package, make sure it's put onto the plane or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, huh, that's weird. And then I, then I start, my mind ran away with it with itself. I was like, what if Dodger has been buying drugs from Juice for years, for oh. years and years? He owes him money. He's been getting whatever the drug of choice is mm-hmm. uh, on tech, right? Okay. Yeah. He yeah. hasn't paid up. That's why he keeps getting roughed up, keeps getting his money stolen. He lives with Manzini, like Ernie Hudson and Leonardo DiCaprio in the Basketball Diaries. <laughs> and occasionally bathes naked for the guy, but the guy won't touch him. The guy's got that kind of, like, I just want to look. The voyeur. Yeah, I won't lay hands on, but I'll watch. Um, yeah, that's the kind of relationship I see them having. You know, I, um, that, that fits perfectly into the, the universe of, of this movie. Uh, a movie that Mitch just called Admirable. So, <laughs> how do you feel? Have, have you been convinced? That's your poster quote. I think, I was going to say, that's a very misleading poll quote, Sam. <laughs> very misleading. Um, what I will say is, Sam, you have, um, you've altered my perspective on it, I would say that. Yes. Um, well, Mitch, coming into this film, you did call it possibly the worst film you'd ever seen. I was entertaining. You know, it's like it's difficult to tell right away. You know, <laughs> very fresh. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I was hard pressed to think of many more. But Sam, I'm not going to say that I'm going to race back to this tomorrow, but I might watch it again. And I would say that yes. considering what my stance was on this no less than an hour ago, I would say that that is an achievement in itself. I've, I've honestly never been more proud. Good, so, good. The, yeah. the other thing that I'm going to do off the back of this episode, and I think we should put it up everywhere, is I am going to make a list of every TV show and film that we referenced over the course of this discussion because I'm convinced that a lot of them will be the first time they've ever been mentioned in the context of uh, the Garbage Pail Kids. I'm convinced that, yeah, like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, quite like that, Basketball yep. Diaries, The Nightingale. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to just, I want to be able to look back at the bibliography of this. My favourite point during the watching of this, Mitch, was when you turned to me and said, is that alligator? <laughs> was it? <laughs> And I was like, I'm really? pleased to report Sam it was. Really? <laughs> yeah, 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 it's like, it's like, I'm not a complete idiot. It was just a very stupid question. <laughs> um, I've got a few. Like, I do know what alligators look like. I, I've got a few uh, films to throw in before we, we finish off for, for okay. the inevitable letterbox list. Um, just one more fact the, the director of Garbage Pail Kids, uh, the, the movie uh, Rod Amato, um, directed a lot of TV in his time, and okay. he was also briefly married to Colleen Gray, who, uh, for anyone who doesn't know who that is, she was in Nightmare Alley, she was in The mm-hmm. Magnificent Red River, and Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Um, so three of the coolest films ever made. So at least we know Rod was aware of what movies are supposed to look like. So distraught was he by the Garbage Pail Kids, he never made another film. Yeah, I mean, that is sad. And I don't want to, you know, pile on on, onto a director who, uh, you know, he's just trying his best. And uh, uh, who knows, who knows what led him to this movie. But as I said before, better to make the worst movie ever made that's still being discussed 30 years later than to make something that no one's ever seen or heard of. So on that, he should be congratulated. Do you think as well that this must be a crazy property to have to deal with from a filmmaking perspective? Because like you say, all you have is kind of just renderings of characters. Yeah, but, you know, accept the challenge. Like, I, I will go on record now. I never want to make a Marvel movie. I never want to make a Star Wars movie. But if I was offered the Garbage Pail Kids reboot tomorrow, I would sign instantly. Um, <laughs> and I would take Thundercats, provided I could do it exactly like Cats. 
Oh, yes, please. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, right. I support that more than I support me making the garbage Pokins. Yes, definitely, definitely. Andy, you are the only one who has not had an opportunity to see a piece in conclusion about the garbage pill kids yeah and let me let me take that the, this opportunity to do that very thing i still had fun with this i laughed when i was supposed to i rolled my eyes more than i remembered doing when i was younger <laughs> uh but i still had i still had fun with it you know i think there's stuff to like in garbage pill kids i don't think it's the worst film we've done i love it if it if it isn't this what do you think is i think that the dubious honor of the worst film we've done possibly still lies with mortal kombat annihilation just a couple of short weeks ago, it was awful. Yeah. yeah. but I I love Eric. Yeah, he's he's a great guy. I love him very much. But yeah, that isn't that isn't a, a, a particularly. I prefer the original Mortal Kombat. Oh yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and would I, and would I recommend people seek out and watch Garbage Pail Kids? I would, but it would be a qualified recommendation. That's certainly not for everyone. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I would say I would say my recommendation would be considerably heavier qualified than yours. <laughs> But still a recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to take anything you can get. Well, victories. Sam. Yes. Let's talk a little about what you've been up to. Yeah, as as sort of loath as I am to associate my own (laughs) creative endeavours with this film. Yes, I have a a new film uh, that is coming out uh, relatively soon. Uh, It will certainly be seen quite soon. Uh, My next film, A Little More Flesh is mm-hmm. going to have its world premiere at Starburst. Cool, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in Manchester, which is on the 13th and the 14th of March. The showing times haven't been announced yet, but I've got a feeling mine's showing on the 14th. Okay. Um, but do go along to both days because uh, I don't know if you guys have been before, but uh, I, it's my first time going. But all that I've heard from people who have shown stuff there is that it is a lovely festival with a great atmosphere and they mm. really, really support indie filmmakers. So oh, yeah. that's, cool. um, that's something I want to do. Um, it's something I tried to do through the Arrow Video podcast, like support my fellow indie filmmakers. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like and, and meeting everyone there. So, um, so yes. And have you chaps had a chance to see a little more flesh? I have indeed, Sam. And uh, yeah, I, I really, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I had a good time with it, but <laughs> I thought it was, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. So talk me through kind of how this film came around and moving from like Frankenstein's Creature into this. Yeah, so Frankenstein's Creature, for anyone that doesn't know, is kind of a, a difficult film to a certain extent because it's a 90-minute uh, movie with one actor performing one take, so it's uncut, and it's one shot. Yeah. Now we use kind of motivated zooms and we use kind of dissolves to keep it visually interesting, but ultimately you are just watching one guy for 90 minutes, uh, an incredible actor named James Swanton who also wrote it. And it's in black and white and mm-hmm. uh, it's influenced by kind of German expressionism and the very earliest films. So yeah, it's it's not an easy watch. And so for my next film, I decided to go much more commercial and mainstream by doing another film that's quite difficult to watch, uh, <laughs> except this time in colour. <laughs> I was going to say, um, it's, it's a difficult to watch in a very, very different way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, one of my favourite films is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper's movie. And I was kind of reading about that film and, you know, him talking about being inspired by what was going on in news channels um, and kind of uh, it's sort of uh, in dialogue with the Vietnam War and stuff like that. And so I thought, you know, I want to make kind of a a disturbing horror film next, um, kind of influenced by... Uh, the intensity of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but also uh, of a director whose work I love, Lars von Trier. And so, yeah, I kind of looked at at the headlines and obviously what was going on at that time was, uh, you know, Me Too and and Harvey Weinstein and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I kind of thought about how can I explore these ideas in a in a unique way um, that, that people won't necessarily have seen before. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the original genesis of the film. I think you've definitely achieved that. Do you want to talk at all about what the film's actually about, or do you think that the less you know going in, the better? 
Yeah, I think kind of the less you know. Uh, I mean, I have said little bits and pieces. Um, and I should also say that the film was made in collaboration with uh, the actress who stars in the film, Elf Lyons. She produced it and kind of co-wrote it as well. Uh, some of the nastiest stuff in there, believe it or not, is, is from Elf. And so, yeah, the setup is basically a kind of notorious director who made uh, erotic dramas in the 1970s. Um, his first film was banned shortly after release and he is returning to it because it's about to be released on Blu-ray by a company called Deep Cut Videos and he is there to provide an audio commentary and that is how the narrative plays out and over the course of the commentary we discover that he is a terrible person and <laughs> that he did terrible things to his lead actresses and they actually uh, killed themselves uh, following the release of the film, but now possibly they are back uh, to seek their revenge. And will they get their revenge? Who knows? You'll have to see the film to find out. Very cool. Yeah, and that put the podcast still going strong. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, podcast's all good. You know, we record it every couple of weeks. The most recent one we did was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. Cool. Um, and yeah, next is Daniel Isn't Real, uh, depending on when this goes up. But uh, yeah, it's all good. I love my co-host Dan Martin. And um, yeah, we talk about a bunch of weird shit. Sam, where can people keep up with you social media wise? So I am on uh, Twitter at uh, Sam Ashurst, my name, and I am on Instagram at Sam Ashurst twenty three, the number two, the number three, and um, I've recently tidied up my Instagram so it's a lot more professional. So I will be putting <laughs> behind the scenes bits and pieces up there, uh, and I'm also working with Hex Studios at the moment. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah they're sort of producing my next film and uh there's other unannounced things that uh should be happening this year as well so i will also be putting up imagery around those things so yeah sam thanks for doing this man this no was worries a blast. really really fun um and thanks for having me on this has been lovely and i and thank you for making mitch watch the garbage pill kids oh yeah sure, I'd, I'd do it every day if i could <laughs> <laughs> see you later man All right, take it easy guys Cheers, man. Bye, bye. 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 well it's done now so I can move on with my life. No, you can't. You know what? The sad part is you're right. I know that when I go to bed tonight, it's going to be there. When yeah. I close my eyes, it's going to be there. Yeah, those fucking hydrocephalic <laughs> elephant man heads floating around <laughs> in front of your face. Oh, God, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got that to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. And at, in time, it will go. It will go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know He's... you'll be left with all the hazy memories. Yeah, yeah. And just the faint melody. Yeah, rattling yeah. around in my head. <laughs> yeah, that's going to get stuck in your craw, by the way. A huge thank you to Mr. Sam Ashurst of the Arrow Video Podcast and, of course, the films Frankenstein's Creature and A Little More Flesh for joining us tonight to talk to the Garbage Pail Kids. Lovely guy. Yeah, amazing. I had a, that, was, that was a hoot. Really, really fun. Oh, nice to just finally get Sam on the show as well because we've been talking about it for long enough and literally the only reason that it's taken so long is because we had to argue him so hard off of Batman vs. Superman. I couldn't. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd sit through Garbage Pail Kids twice before I would watch... Batman. I think that the mass on that checks out. I think that that's almost as long as those two things take. Got to be. But with that, we're done for episode 90. 90. 90. Holy shit, we're closing in. Shouting distance like the shockwaves on 100, except more reliable. <laughs> we'll be back on Monday, though, with another mini-sode for you, and we'll be doing all the usual stuff on there. We will be taking a look at your feedback. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. Who knows? I might have continued my 90s horror side quest. I hope so. We'll be playing Mitch's Pitches and a whole lot more, letting you know everything you need to know about next week's show as well. If you want to get in touch with us between now and then, you can do Facebook and Instagram or Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC and you can email Longer Considerations, Mitch's Pitches Suggestions, Musical Interludes, whatever else you feel like to stronglanguageviolentscenes at gmail.com. Yeah, and of course, check out our website, strongviolentpod.com, where you can find all sorts of nonsense and bits and bobs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. We'll be back on Monday. Join us then if you can. Wait, in the wait, wait. What? I think we should go out on a song. No. 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 Yes. No. Goodbye. Why should we do something nice? Let's quit now. That's my advice.
being smart, we'll borrow tools to do our part. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.